Anybody here like to take tests? Everybody, put your hands up, right? Uh, maybe a, a couple people. I, I had a professor in college who uh, he would never refer to them as tests. He would always say, on Friday, we are going to have an opportunity to demonstrate all that you have learned. Okay, a little bit longer, a little more of a positive spin there. <clears throat> tests. I think probably for most of us, um, we used to dread tests in school, and I see some of us are still in school, and so maybe we're still, we're still kind of uh, dealing with those things. But what about there's other kinds of tests as well that maybe you've had to take before. Anybody had to take a personality test before, right? No one? No one knows what they're like? Yeah, a few of us, okay. Sometimes maybe your employer, you know, makes you do it. Sometimes maybe it's just a, I don't know, a fun thing that you do. I, I, maybe, yeah. What about uh, if you were getting married by a pastor, did they make you take a, uh, in your pre-marriage counseling, like a test about your relationship? And you had to get a certain score or they wouldn't marry you? No, I'm just kidding. That's not, well, I, I shouldn't have, I've said too much already. Um, pa- <laughs> It's, it's always a, at least, this is at least for me personally, it's a struggle, it's a challenge when I'm taking a test like this, like a, something about myself, a personality test, you know, a test about my relationship. Am I going to answer the questions accurately or not? Am I going to give an accurate response about how I actually am, you know, what the present situation is like? Or the alternative would be not accurate, but it would be um, I would answer them aspirationally. We've all probably done this before. You come, out, come away and you're like, is that really my personality or is that what I wish I was like? You know, accurately, aspirationally. We're not always very good at looking at ourselves and answering accurately. We maybe don't get the, the real picture of who we are if we, if we struggle with that. <clears throat> One thing that we may have trouble uh, identifying accurately in our lives uh, would be this, uh, this question. You know, how do you know if your priorities are in the right order? You know, I think, well, what are my priorities? What are my top priorities? If you guys had a piece of paper and you could like, you know, jot them down really quick, um, maybe you would answer pretty quickly, but would you answer accurately? Or would you answer aspirationally? Like, well, I wish these were my top priorities, but how would you know, you know? Is there a test for this to see um, what your priorities really are? Well, I would, I would argue that there are two tests, and they're actually, they're pretty foolproof to see what your priorities are. The first one is called looking at your calendar. You look at your calendar and you see how you spend your time, it gives you a pretty accurate answer about, you know, what is a priority in my life? The second one, this hits a little bit closer to home, would be looking at my budget. How do I spend my money? Wherever you send your time and your money, that will show you um, what is important to you truly. And so maybe if you actually look at those things, you might think, well, maybe my priority list was more aspirational, but, but it can be helpful to look at those things and see, well, what, what are my priorities really, and what would I like them to be? What is the right order for my life? Lutherans, um, because we're so great, 
we have a really wonderful way of kind of getting at this concept and kind of explaining it. We have this idea called vocation. And so we refer to the various callings that God gives us as our vocation. Uh, vocation is the, the Latin word for calling. Um, and, you know, we, we, all, we all have uh, different aspects of who we are. We believe that, you know, all of these things come from God. And so they're all important, but what's the right order for all of them? You know, so you hear the word vocation, don't just think, oh, that's my like day job or something. You know, no, it's, it's more than that. that. That's one of them, but you've got a lot more. And so we could probably take a little time and, and again, you know, write down all the different vocations that we have. I'd probably give you guys a couple minutes and you could come up with a bunch of different roles. You know, you'd say, well, I'm a, I'm a father or a mother, I'm a husband or a wife, and you know, I'm a citizen, I'm a friend, I'm a neighbor, I'm a Browns fan, I'm a consumer of pumpkin spice lattes, you know. Uh, any number of things that we could list off in our lives to describe, you know, my present situation, what God has called me to do and to be. Uh, but the struggle is uh, trying to prioritize them all in a God-pleasing way. Today, uh, I've, I've rambled on for so long now that you've already forgotten what our sermon series is all about, but we're continuing on stories of sinful saints and we have uh, two, a story of two women. And I believe that their story is really, it's about vocation. And it's about trying to prioritize and wrestle with all the things that God has called me to be and which takes the top priority. Perpetua and Felicitas. You guys have never heard of them. Okay, if you, if you tell me that you have, you're, I, I would say I don't think so. Well, maybe you have. Maybe a few of us have. Um, but wonderful sisters in Christ to us who lived a long time ago. But I want you guys to be thinking as we go, which vocation was number one for them? Which vocation was number one for Perpetua and Felicitas? Uh, they did not have the advantage of just being able to leisurely, well, let me, let me write down all my vocations and my priorities and rank them and workshop them. No, no, their life unfolded in a rather dramatic way, and they had to decide right on the spot, which is my vocation? Which is my number one vocation in life? And we're going to see how that played out. They were both born um, in the late second century AD, long time ago. And their life really became interesting and dramatic in the year 203 AD, okay? 1800 years ago or so. They were born uh, and lived in a city called Carthage. If you're a history buff, you may be remembering, oh yes, I remember the Punic Wars, you know, Carthage, and, and uh, now by this point, I mean, it was, it was still, a, still a big city, you know, an important city in ancient times, but by this time, it was part of the Roman Empire, right? I mean, what wasn't back then? And at this particular point in history, we know that the persecution of Christians kind of ebbed and flowed over the early centuries. Uh, this was a bad time well, I shouldn't say it was a bad time. It was a dangerous time to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. And so Perpetua and Felicitas, they were, um, Perpetua was a noblewoman born in a wealthy family in Carthage. 
and uh, Felicitas was her servant. And both of them were Christians. Both of them were young, about 22 years old, and both of them had little babies. They were young mothers. And uh, they did not grow up Christian, but they heard the gospel, and they started going into you know, these secret gatherings of Christians, underground church, you could say, um, at the express disapproval of Perpetua's father. He said, don't mess around with those Christians. It's too dangerous. Don't do that. You're risking your whole life. But they, they enrolled as what we call catechumens, which basically meant they were receiving basic Christian instruction in preparation to be baptized. They went through that, they were baptized, and they kept going to the worship gatherings in secret. And uh, one day, Perpetua and Felicitas were coming home together, and they were arrested on the charge of being a Christian. And they were thrown into the dungeon, awaiting trial and potentially death. <clears throat> if you're a father, um, you can appreciate this. Perpetua's father went to visit her and got to have his I told you so moment. I told you this wasn't a good idea. And he urged her to renounce her Christian faith. And the, and the Romans, they were, they were very nice people, right? They would let you do that. They would let you renounce your faith in Christ and then make a sacrifice to the empire and then you would you'd be free to go, right? How charitable of them to do that. But Perpetua's father uh, desperately pleaded for her to renounce her faith. And she said, this is how she responded. She said, I cannot call myself anything other than that which I am, a Christian. Ooh, bold confession. You know, this is who I am. This is my calling, my vocation. How can I renounce Christ when he has placed his name upon me in baptism? How can I lie and say I'm anything else? And so her, uh, her day in court, so to speak, came, and she and Felicitas and the other uh, Christians that were being held got to line up, and they got their turn with the proconsul, and the proconsul would ask, you know, are you a Christian, or give the opportunity at least to renounce their faith. So they're waiting there, and Perpetua's dad had one more trick up his sleeve. He came, he's pulling on all the stops now. He brings her baby, brings her son, and he says, you know, perform the sacrifice, have mercy on your child. She gets up there to the proconsul, and he, even, even the proconsul says, you know, um, spare your father's gray hair. Spare the infant. Make the sacrifice. You know, it's like, this is the only logical thing to do. Why would you, why would you claim the name of Christ if it's going to get you killed? Why would anyone do that? Perpetua said, though, I am a Christian. Felicitas, next in line, I am a Christian. Together they were condemned to die. They had a few days left. During that time, Perpetua was able to write down an account of her final days, and, and it's, it's a beautiful thing if you want to look that up later. She was also able, she and Felicitas both were able to make provisions for their children to be cared for, and they were also able to rejoice 
in the provisions that God had made for them through Christ Jesus, that even through their death, God, they knew that God had provided for their eternal life. They put their trust in this life and in the next life in Christ, and they died. Now, the beautiful thing is that they, that they knew. They knew what was coming. They knew what God had in store for them in Christ. Now, did their earthly lives go exactly according to how they planned and dreamed they would go? Not at all. No one wants to die that young with little children. I mean, it's just, it breaks your heart even just to, to hear this story, to, to put yourself in those shoes. Oh, how would that even go? It's so gut-wrenching. But they were confident in Jesus because they knew the priorities that Jesus had. They knew the vocation that Jesus had coming down from heaven into this world. They knew that first and foremost, Jesus was a son. He was the obedient son of God, you know, only thinking of his father's will. And his father's will was that you know, all would, would be saved, all would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so Jesus, all the way through, was the son following the Father's will all the way to the cross. Because that's what it took to make sure that the people of God would be forgiven and set free from their sin and that they would be cared for in the life to come that their life would be preserved even through death. Death would not hold them. Just as death could not hold Jesus, just as he has risen from the dead, so we too, who are Christian, who have been redeemed and called his own, we have eternal life waiting for us. So all of this that was running through Perpetua and Felicitas's hearts and minds as they knew that no other vocation stood before their vocation as Christian. And so today now, we have, we have the good news of the story of Jesus, and we have the story of Perpetua and Felicitas. These, these realities are here for us so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be strengthened, and perhaps, yes, even challenged in our following of Jesus here in this life. And so it, it brings up this question for us. Because if, if, you're, if you're like me, you know, you hear a story like this, and like, how does it apply to me? What can I learn? How can hearing this impact the rest of my life? How do I keep Jesus and my vocation as Christian first in my life? Do you guys have the answer? If you do, come on, come on up, right? This is, this, is, this is difficult, right? This is something that we struggle with every day, and if we're not struggling with it, we should be struggling with it. We should be thinking about it. We should be obsessing over our priority list. How can we please God with the way that they're ordered? How can we take seriously all the vocations that God has given to us and keep Jesus first and foremost? It is rough. It is a beautiful wrestling match that we engage in in our lives as Christians. 
I alluded to this earlier, but I, I do have fun sometimes uh, inviting people like in confirmation class or an adult Bible study to list off, take five minutes and list off all the vocations that God has given to you. Because really, if, if you give some thought to it, all the roles that you have in your life, and they change sometimes depending on the year or the decade or you know, whatever, the season of the year, um, but if you really give some thought, you, you can come up with 10, 12, 14 probably. You know, if you get really creative, you can do a lot more. I've seen some. But I, I, you know, give the, I give the assignment to people, and then I really have fun scolding people upon looking at their results. Because, yeah, see, I just, it's just fun. Um, <clears throat> because sometimes I will not find the word Christian on the list, and other times I will find it just kind of tucked away in the middle somewhere, and, you know, I, it's, a, it's a fun, it's a loving kind of scolding, you know, of course. But it's like your vocation as Christian uh, should be in its own column altogether. It should have, have its own category. It kind of governs all the other vocations that we have. You could say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian father. I'm a Christian, you know, whatever my day job is. I'm a Christian citizen. I'm a Christian friend. I'm a Christian neighbor, you know, whatever. Christian is like the adjective that modifies all the other ones. We are all, at all times, above all other things, a Christian, to filter everything through that core identity. So it's, it's not like, um, let me put my Christian hat on now for one to two hours a week, and then the rest of the week, I'm, you know, it's completely devoid of any kind of Christian calling. No, it's like every, every single thing is part of your Christian life. And it's, it's amazing because it, it kind of unlocks the whole rest of your life then when you, when you understand that. Sometimes we may um, overthink this or we, we, may, we may overcomplicate this whole concept of vocation. Um, we may react too far one way or the other. One question that might come up is, well, does following Jesus mean completely forsaking all other vocations and all other people in my life and all other responsibilities, you know? Do I just have the one vocation now? Do I have to become a monk or a nun? Should we all go register, you know? Do, can I not ever have a hobby or anything anymore? Just pray all day, live at church? Well, no, of course not. That's, that's not the way it is either. It's not like being a Christian reduces all of your vocations down to one, but instead it gives additional meaning and purpose to all the other callings that God has already given to you. It gives extra meaning and purpose to your life. I believe at the heart of this whole conversation as well, vocation and perpetuum felicitas and all these things, I think that we have a first commandment issue going on for us to reflect upon. The first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. We know that one. We've had to memorize it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the most important commandment, right? Um, if you keep it, then the rest of your life kind of flows in the right order, and if you don't, you, you break all the other commandments and your life is a mess. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, same professor in college that I referenced earlier who had the fun you know, lingo for what a test is, um, he was teaching a different day about the first commandment. 
And he was talking about, you know, he's like, did you guys, do you guys know what Martin Luther says is the definition of a God? You know, this is a lowercase g God, okay? Luther talked about how um, anything in your life that gives you identity, purpose, meaning, security, um, that's, that's a God for you. So my professor says, well, well notice, notice what God says in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't say you can't have other gods. Are you guys nervous now? Are you guys nervous where I'm going with this? Pastor's gonna tell us we can have other gods? No. What, he's say, what, he was, what my professor was trying to say was, it's not that God is saying you can't have any other part of your life that provides meaning, purpose for you, you know, a, a part of your identity. Just those things have to be in the right order. They have to be below God and below your vocation as Christian. Now, they're all intertwined, right? We said as a Christian, everything is intertwined. So, I mean, so I, I'm running through my own life. Well, I mean, I, I derive, you know, you know, purpose and identity from like my wife and kids, but I'm not gonna call them like gods, okay? I, yeah, that, that language is kind of uncomfortable, but certainly yeah, reflect upon how God gives you these other callings. Just make sure he's number one, but make sure that, you know, how, how can I be pleasing to God and faithful in all the other vocations that I've given? You know, these other things can like round out your life and, and they give your life color and beauty and meaning. Just remember the ultimate, the ultimate identity that you have is in Christ. And then everything falls into place. As sinful saints, uh, when we follow Jesus first, right, that's what we're striving for, that's what we're wrestling with every day of our lives, then the rest of our lives follow faithfully in the right order. You get the first commandment, the rest of it falls in. When you follow Jesus first, the rest of our lives get in the right order. And we, we can reflect upon you know, how we, we are Christians first and foremost. Every other aspect of our identity bows before Christ flows from Christ and has its meaning and its purpose because of Christ. It's a good way to look at it. And so I'm going to be, let's pray for each other that, that God will, will help us out, that he will strengthen us to fulfill the various vocations that he has given to us that we can be encouraged and yet challenged by the stories like the story of Perpetua and Felicitas. It can be a daunting thing for us. It can be a fun process, though, as well. But I pray that by God's grace, he will lead us to faithfully follow and to, and to order our lives in the proper way so that we can give glory to God, so we can serve one another, and ultimately enjoy that eternal life that Jesus has won for us. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for giving us our core identity as Christians, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Help us to see this 
as our ultimate number one identity and vocation and order our lives around this so that we can follow you faithfully in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.